I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 21. We'll read the triumphal entry account this morning. It's Palm Sunday service, Matthew 21, the first 11 verses under the heading of Jesus' true identity. Jesus' true identity from Matthew 21. Give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughters of Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this. And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Here ends the reading of God's Word. May He add His blessing upon it. Dear congregation, who is Jesus? This is the great question of Matthew's account of the triumphal entry we see in verse 10. Who is this? Throughout Matthew's Gospel, this question has been asked. Remember when there were crowds of people asking, who is this man who casts out demons? In Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisee says, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. In Matthew 16, after the crowds desert Jesus Christ, after his teaching that his disciples need to eat his flesh and drink his blood, he says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And the disciples respond, some say you're Elijah, but I say you're the Christ. But today the question comes to you and to me, who is this Jesus to you? You see, we come this morning to what's traditionally been known as Holy Week. Beginning on Palm Sunday and continuing through Good Friday all the way to Easter Sunday and the Resurrection, Christians have historically meditated on Jesus' last week on earth. We think that Jesus likely lived 33 years on this earth. But it is clear from the Gospel accounts that His last week on earth was the most important. 
In fact, Matthew's Gospel, what we're looking at this morning, devotes chapters 21 to 28, one-fourth of his whole Gospel to Jesus' last week on earth. Mark, in verses 11 through 16, devotes one-third, and John, verse tra- or chapters 12 through 21, devotes over half of his Gospel to Jesus' last week on earth. And there's something different about Jesus during this last week. You see, in Jesus' early beginnings of His ministry, He will cast out a demon and He will tell them, don't tell them who I am. He even tells His disciples not to reveal who He is. When He heals the blind, He instructs them, tell no one who healed you. But what we see in the last week of Jesus' life, He can no longer hide who He is. He must reveal who He is. His true identity. That He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a friend. But we see in these 11 verses this morning that He is our Lord. He is our King. And He is our Messiah. We see that three titles are given to Christ in this chapter. Or excuse me, these 11 verses. We see, this is our outline this morning, the Lord, His honor, the King's nature, and the Son of David's acclaim. We want to look at all three of these titles as the revelation of Jesus' true identity. Let's look first at those first three verses where we see the Lord's honor. You see, since the transfiguration that Matthew records in verse 17, Jesus has been traveling towards Jerusalem by foot. He and His disciples have walked all the way from Galilee to Jerusalem, which was a distance of about 90 miles. And we're told in verse 1 of chapter 21 that now they have come to a place called Bethpage. We don't know the exact location of this town, but we estimate it would have been less than two miles from Jerusalem because Matthew goes on and says that it's on, or at least near, the Mount of Olives. So this town, Bethpage, is likely within, you could see, Jerusalem within the sight of the city. And this is an important part of the context of this story because after all this time traveling on foot, you have to ask the question, why does Jesus even need a donkey to go the last two miles? I think if we were a disciple, we might be asking the question, after 88 miles... Now you need a donkey? Is Jesus getting tired? I'm convinced that Jesus didn't need a ride. In fact, this is actually the only occasion in the entire Gospel of Matthew where Jesus has ever said to do do anything but walk when He needs to go somewhere. I think 
This is a very symbolic action of riding a donkey. And as John Calvin, Calvin puts it, what he is claiming here, he says, and I quote, to claim royal honor, Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to show that He is a king. This is why He says, verse 2, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. See, when we think of a donkey today, what do we think of? I grew up with a grandfather who loved horses. He always had horses my entire childhood. Do you know what a donkey is to someone who likes horses? A worse version of a horse. When we think of donkeys, we think of stubbornness. We may even think of poverty. But donkeys, remember back in the ancient world, were not an ignoble, lesser animal. In fact, I think the disciples in verse 2 would have understood. You know the kind of people who ride donkeys? Kings ride donkeys. See, all the way back in 1 Kings chapter 1, we are told that David had his own mule that he would ride. And then when God revealed to him that Solomon would be the son who would sit on his throne and would be that perfect son, if you will, apart from Christ, and who would build the temple, it says in 1 Kings 1, that David placed him on his mule, which Solomon rode to Gihon. In 1 Kings 32-40, Solomon, as he's riding that mule, meets the elders, and then is anointed as king over Israel. Not only good kings, but we read that Absalom rode on a donkey. Listen to what one scholar says. He says, despite their widespread use by all, the donkey and the mule were also evidently a staple of ancient Near Eastern royal ceremony. They were involved, if you will, in the coronation of kings. I think Christ is aware of this. And so as Jesus tells His disciples as He's approaching the city of Jerusalem to go into the town ahead of them and to grab this donkey for Him to ride upon into the great city of God, the King coming to Zion, He is placing Himself in line with the King of David. He is placing Himself in line with King Solomon. And He gives us a glimpse of His magnificence. When if the disciples found someone who objected to their taking of the donkey, who needs this donkey? The Lord needs him, needs them. And then they will send them at once. Notice closely here who needs the donkey. Not a Lord, not even your Lord, but literally in the Greek it says, the Lord a term only ever used to describe people of great authority, of prominence, and of course throughout the Old Testament is ascribed to God Himself. Christ is claiming 
his royal honor here. But Lord, not just over his disciples. Lord, not just over the donkey and its owner. But remember, later in the New Testament, the first creed of the Christians, simple, short statement, is that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over all. He has the highest authority. And if He truly is Lord, then we must acknowledge His true identity, shouldn't we? And commit ourselves to Him. If Jesus is our Lord, we have to submit to His authority. He owns us and has the right to tell us what to do. Christ's claim here is that our allegiance first and foremost belongs to Christ. And beloved, isn't it a joy to serve this Lord? Our Lord never bids us to do anything that will endanger His people. He never commands His servants to do something that will hurt them, but what is always good and always helpful but if he truly is lord then all then he demands all that we are and all that we have he sets the terms jesus is the one who shows us how to handle our finances jesus is the one who shows us how to raise our children he shows us what to prioritize and what to forsake in this life in jesus revelation of His true identity. He not only shows us Himself, but He shows us the posture of the people who see His true identity. On bended knee. We are to submit to Him. To obey Him. To love Him. To adore Him. And there's a caution here as well, isn't there? That He is Lord whether we acknowledge it or not. Paul will later go on to unfold the Lordship of Christ maybe better than anyone else ever did. And he uses these words. He says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed upon Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ, in revealing His true identity, shows us, the first aspect of His true identity, shows us also our place in His Society. Again, on bended knee, doing all things for His glory and His honor. And we see that in this passage, don't we? That people have come, at least to a certain extent, to recognize Jesus' Lordship. And so as He's making the claim that He is that royal Lord, that kingly honor, He also intends to show us His magnificent splendor 
in these titles. But he also, in many ways, disappoints these people. Because he's not the kind of Messiah that they want. He's riding on a donkey to show us what kind of Messiah he is. Yes, he is the Messiah. Yes, he is the prophet, priest, and king. But he shows us something of his character here, doesn't he? That he is gentle and lowly of heart. Look at the king's nature here. You see, yes, he's riding on a donkey, and the donkey, as I've said, is a royal animal, part of those coronation ceremonies. But who owns the donkey? It's borrowed. The reason the disciples have to put their coats on its back is because this borrowed donkey didn't have a saddle. There was no strappings for him to hold on to while he rode this donkey. Yes, the great crowds will shout acclaim upon him, but who are they? This would have been the commoner, the peasant, the poor, walking into Jerusalem. See, what we often miss on Good Friday, or excuse me, Palm Sunday, is the humility of Christ here. In fact, Christ would have been seen as so humble compared to Solomon's coronation. So humble compared to David's uh, ordination and installation that John Calvin says it would have seemed as though a terrible sign of shameful poverty to the rich. See, this shows us something precious about Christ. He is a king. But he has not come for earthly glory. He hasn't come for an earthly throne. But notice with me in verses 4 and 5 that he comes with humility to bring peace. He comes with humility to bring peace. We read that after the disciples go to grab this donkey and this colt, we read in verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. What Matthew is doing here is he's actually taking two Old Testament passages. He takes Isaiah 62 and he takes Zechariah 9 and he puts them together here. Isaiah 62 is a prophecy for Zion. Zion, of course, the city of God where the prophet says that salvation will come to her. Salvation, we are told in Isaiah 62, will come as a brightness. It will come as a burning torch, a crown of beauty. The Lord delights in her. 62 verse 4. A city not forsaken. 62 verse 12. And the prophet says to the daughters of Jerusalem, keep your head up. Behold, salvation will come to you. And this is the incredible part. It's long been noted that the Jews wanted a king but not a humble king. They wanted a conquering king. 
They wanted a king to ride in on a chariot. They wanted a king to drive out the Romans. A king that would set them back to their proper place in the world. He quotes Isaiah 62 and he says, your salvation is coming. But then he goes to Zechariah 9, which reads like this. Your king is coming humble, mounted on a donkey. What is he saying about the salvation of Jerusalem? What is he saying about the hope of the Jews? He's saying salvation has arrived this day. O gates, verse Psalm 24, lift up your heads. Salvation is here. It has come, but it is not in pomp and circumstance. It is not according to what you want. He hasn't come with the ceremony of a conqueror, but He has come in humility. On a donkey. That is your salvation. Behold, your King is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the beast of burden. There's something so important here that we need to see this Palm Sunday morning. Jesus is not the fulfillment of men's dreams. He came to be the fulfillment of God's promises. See, something that we Christians sometimes often struggle with is that if Jesus is truly Lord, if God is all that He says He is, why do I still have trials? Why do I still have tribulations? Can't He just remove all of these things? But yet, if any of us were to do a perfect life, a carefree life, it was surely Christ, wasn't it? But we're told that the King Himself humbles Himself under the trials of God. Because He knew that through this plan, God would work out His sovereign salvation. In the act of riding on the donkey, He shows Himself to be both great and humble. He shows Himself to be exalted and lowly of heart. He is a king and a humble servant. I've mentioned it a few times, so you've probably picked up on this, but my favorite passage for Palm Sunday is Psalm 24. I love the way it ends. Who is the King of glory? Jehovah of hosts, He is King. This is Christ. This is Christ. He is the King of glory. He is the perfect one. He is the one who has lips unstained, hands that are pure, a clean heart who can walk into Zion. And what do we see of this King? That he is not proud or arrogant, but he is humble in character 
And even in this moment, the greatest moment he will have on earth, where his reality is revealed, where the people actually in some way vaguely recognize who he is and give him the acclaim that he is truly due, he still humbles himself, taking on the form of a servant for us and for our salvation. What a king! What a king! Not a warlord, not a brutal dictator, not arriving on a war horse, marshalling his angelic army to action, but humble to bring peace. That's one other thing we need to see about this. As James Montgomery Boyce notes, this donkey symbolizes that Jesus was coming for in peace, not for war. See, kings should only ever ride on a donkey when the battle has been won. When peace has arrived. What is Jesus also showing us here? That symbolically, the battle has already been won. In His incarnation and in His life, He is not weak or incompetent, but He has been victorious over Satan. He's been victorious over the devils, over hell. It's all lost its authority. Death has ta- its sting has been taken away. Sin its power. He has overcome and is overcoming all evil. And through his act of going to Jerusalem, he comes to bring peace. Not the peace that Israel wanted with Rome. But he brings an everlasting peace by reconciling sinful man and holy God. He is the Prince of Peace who comes to Jerusalem to lay his life down as a ransom for many. He comes in peace to endure God's wrath. He comes in peace to be arrested. He comes in peace to be unjustly tried and murdered. To be the promised Messiah who will lay his life down who we can have peace with God the blood of His cross. And so the people recognize this. Again, in a vague way, they see Him for who He is. And we see, this is our final point in verses 6-11, through they give Him a claim. And so we read that the disciples go, verse 6, And they get those two donkeys. And when they arrived, the disciples spread their cloaks upon both of the animals. Jesus sat on the colt, which was likely led by its mother since it was a young animal. And they begin to descend down the Mount of Olives in sight of everyone who is walking into Jerusalem for Passover. There would have been great crowds that would have traveled with Him. They were, the Jews, of course, were commanded to travel to Jerusalem to observe the Passover feast to ever, together. There would have been a great multitude of people flowing into the city. And we know that the Jews, as they walked up into the city of Jerusalem, it was an ascent that they had to go up into the city. They would have sung various psalms. A collection of praise psalms. Psalms 
113 to Psalm 118 were sung during these feasts. And Psalm 118 says this. We just sang it a few moments ago. It says this. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus is riding into Jerusalem at the same time that thousands of Passover lambs would have been marching into Jerusalem as well. And the people say, of Christ. He is the fulfillment of Psalm 118. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna literally means save now. Save us, Son of David. You are the Passover Lamb. Hosanna, salvation to the highest, is a testimony by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They're calling upon Him. Save us! Save us, O promised One of Psalm 118. So they take off their coats and they throw Him on the ground. They go to the trees and they're cutting off branches of these palm trees and throwing them on the ground to prepare the way into Jerusalem for Jesus. And now earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that He told them, don't praise Me, don't worship Me, don't tell them who I am. Here, Jesus on the colt accepts their worship. Their praise their adoration. And notice with me, my children who are here with me this day, there is nothing to suggest that little ones weren't involved in this. In fact, we should assume that children were joining in and praising Christ. Jesus loves when little voices sing His praises. And so He goes into the city of Jerusalem. But we come again to the main question. Verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? They're abuzz. They're excited. Was this probably... Even though it was a city, it was probably not a city as we would think of it. It still would have felt in many ways like a small town. They were excited about Jesus coming to Jerusalem. No more concealing. No more hiding. The crowds are shouting, He is the Lord. He is the King. He is the Son of David. He is our Messiah. And so the people ask, Who is this? And look at their answer. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. It's so close, but yet so far from the truth. Yeah, he is a prophet. Yes, he is a savior. But is that all he is? You see, the crowds are already showing us in verse 11 what they think of Jesus. And Matthew is 
wise to note, the crowds are the one who are saying this. It's not the Pharisees in verse 11. It's the crowds who just praised Him as the Son of David. They called upon Him to save us. They're saying, He's just a prophet. See, the reality is, throughout the Gospels, people struggle to understand what kind of Messiah Jesus came to be. We want a Messiah who's a powerful political leader who can march in with his army to Jerusalem and drive out Rome when the answer to the question shows us the hearts of the crowd when they cried out, Hosanna, when they cried out, save us now, they were not saying save us from our sins. Save us from Rome. Save us from our problems in life. Save us from the situations we endure. Save us from Rome, Jesus. Save us from our wicked boss, Jesus. Save us from my problems, Jesus. See, they misunderstood why Christ came to earth. He didn't come to take us from the trials of life. He didn't come even to take us from the temptations of life. He came to be with us in the trials of life. To bear with us our temptations. He came to pay the debt of sins and give us true peace, lasting peace, everlasting peace with God. So what's the most shocking thing about this passage then? Is that just a few short chapters later, Four days later, the very same people who, at the urge, who cry out Hosanna to the Son of David at the urging of these leaders by the end of the week, week would change their shouts of Hosanna to crucify Him. Crucify Him. He won't save us from Rome? Crucify Him. He won't take my situation in life? Crucify Him. He gives, he brings nothing worthy to the table for me. Crucify him. Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a prophet? A good teacher? Someone there to take us from the bad situations in life? Or as Matthew has just presented Him, is He your Lord? Is He your King? Your only hope and trust, your Messiah. Where do you stand on the issue? Have you trusted in Him? We Christians can be tempted to be like the Jews who only look to Jesus if we have a problem in life. And that we will only worship and serve Him if He does what we want Him to do. Who is this Jesus to you? Here's the most important application this Holy Week. Believe the Gospel. Jesus is who He says He is. He is our Lord. He is the King. He is the Messiah who has come humbly into this world not to do our will, 
not even to do his own will, but to do the will of God who sent him. He is worthy of our praise. Not because he does what we want, but because he saves us from our sins by giving his life on the cross this coming Good Friday, shedding his blood, being forsaken by God to bring true, everlasting peace between man and God. So let us lift up Hosanna's today. Let us praise Him, for He truly is worthy of praise. Not because He is the credit card who we can swipe and get out of our situations in life, our get-out-of-jail-free card, if you will, but because He truly is our Lord. He truly is our King and the Messiah who has come to save. Hosanna to the Son of David. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, we thank You for Your Son and the revelation of His true identity. He is the Lord. He is the King. He is the Messiah. And worthy of all praise and honor. May we join in with the throng, but may our hearts be aright like the disciples, like Mary and Martha, who would have lifted up their voices in Hosanna for the right reason. We pray, merciful God, that we would worship Christ aright, for He truly is worthy of all glory and honor and power. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.